the blast from our past network. Hello and welcome to the Blast From Our Past podcast. We are the podcast that gives you full-on movie breakdowns, TV show reviews, and a whole lot more, all from the things of our nostalgic past. I'm Adam. I'm John. And today we are talking things that suck you in, if you will. You have to go inside (laughs) the game. And that's why I think this pairing is really cool. I'm really excited about that. Because we could have done a couple different things. We actually could have done an all-Jumanji show Mm -hmm. um, because there was a cartoon in the 90s. Actually, I did watch that one. Um, But instead, we paired this uh, up. We made this pairing because you have to go inside the game. And I really, really like that. So we are talking the 1995 film Jumanji. We are talking the 1992 show Nick Arcade or Nickelodeon Arcade. And then we are going to do a casting of Jumanji. And then before you're like, Er, Adam, what are you doing? Jumanji is still a series going on right now, which it is. Yes. We are like, fuck it. I don't care. (laughs) We're going to recast as maybe not really necessarily as if that series never started, but like maybe if they wanted to kind of recreate the first one or create a new one without the rock and Kevin Hart. I'm getting a little sick of the rock and Kevin Hart. I'm not going to (laughs) lie. Just in movies, and so it's like, how would you redo this movie with actors of today? So that's what we are doing. Uh, some good Jumanji, some good Nick Arcade, and uh, 1995 is the year that it came out. And so, John, get our minds back to that wonderful year. So, the film was released on December 15th, 1995. The Billboard Top 100 single for that week is a song that we've talked about before. And that's One Sweet Day by Mariah Carey and Boys to Men. That was uh, the song that held the record for the most uh, like weeks at number one mm-hmm. until I think it was um, Old Town Road took it over or something like that. I right. think I think that was it. So no surprise that we would be throwing this in. I mean, any yeah. other movies we're talking about this probably in 1995 and maybe into 96. We'll, we'll <laughs> yeah. probably hear from this again. Uh, the Nielsen ratings, topping the Nielsen ratings for that week is ER. Okay. Yep. Huge show. We've talked. We've yep. you've mentioned that one before. Great medical show. The New York Times bestseller is a book called Five Days in Paris by Danielle Steele. Surprise, there's Danielle oh, Steele. I, I, you know, I knew she was a popular enough artist only because I've seen so many books. Like, you go to a bookstore and you go to the romance section, and it's just like, man, there's a lot of Danielle Steele. But, like, knowing that she topped the, uh, the New York Times so much mm-hmm. is impressive. So, I mean, yeah, she's got a following. Yeah. Uh, a video game that came out, speaking of arcades, this is an arcade game that I absolutely have played, uh, and any time I see it, I usually play it. Do you remember the arcade game, Time Crisis? Oh, you have the gun. <clears throat> yes. You abs- yes, absolutely. And uh, that one was released around this time. Okay. Yeah, yeah no, that's a good time. one. Hell, I'll still jump on a Time Crisis every now and then. Absolutely, I will. 
And uh, my kind of fun fact for 1995, I'm, I, we must be covering 95 a lot because I realized as I was looking for the one site where I kind of go for my facts, I'm starting to run out of. <laughs> the pilot episode of Courage the Cowardly Dog that came out that year was actually nominated for Best Animated Short at that year's Academy Awards. Okay. At the Academy Awards? Mm-hmm. Courage the Cowardly Dog for an Academy Award. Yes. Very interesting. The pilot okay. episode. Which I didn't. I didn't know pilots could get nominated. I did not either. Huh. All right. That's interesting. So I guess so. Um, not a show I watched in particular. I know it was around for a while, and there was a lot of people who loved it, but it was definitely past my cartoon watching prime. Yeah, I knew of it. I watched maybe a tiny bit of it here and there, but I think even a slightly younger generation. I, th- I think if we would have talked, you know, I think our, our stepsister Siobhan probably watched some of Courage the Cowardly Dog. Uh, more than you and I did, though. Yeah, probably. So. All right, that was 1995. All right, well, it is time to roll the dice and see what happens when we talk Jumanji. All right, Jumanji, 1995. This movie was directed by Joe Johnston. We talked about him before when we discussed Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. He also did uh, The Rocketeer, Jurassic Park 3, and the first Captain America movie. Hmm. Other interesting facts about him, he was a concept artist and effects technician on the original Star Wars movie. Uh, He co-created the design of Boba Fett in Empire Strikes Back. So kind of, I think design was already around with the... um, the, the holiday special, mm-hmm. but like the actual like, creating of the plates and, uh, you know, creating of the armor itself right. and like his, his overall design there um, was, you know, part of uh, Joe Johnson. He was also the art director on Return of the Jedi and Raiders of the Lost Ark, which won him an Oscar for best visual effects. Oh, nice. So very cool. This movie is loosely based on a Chris von Allsberg 1981 picture book of the same name. It is a uh, kid's book. And I remember we talked about an actor who, I think it was in our last Parenthood episode, actually did the reading, or did the reading, but discussed Jumanji on Reading Rainbow back in the day. I can't, I didn't look up who the kid I can't was. can't remember who it was now. I can't remember who it was, but I remember it being a cool little fact. Was it, so go back. Was it cool? Oh, it could have been cool. You know what? It had to be cool, because 1989, that's the only kid who would have been uh, young enough to be on Reading Rainbow. It was cool. Okay. (laughs) That was definitely it. Nice. And the music in this film was done by James Horner. And I'm going to go over the same spiel I always (laughs) go over with James Horner. Movies that we've already talked about with James Horner in them. Batteries Not Included, Mask of Zorro, American Tale, Cocoon, Aliens, Honey, I Shrank the Kid, Balto, Land Before Time, and Casper. Amazing. On top of that, Commando, Willow, Field of Dreams, Glory, Rocketeer, Legends of the Fall, Braveheart, Apollo 13, Titanic, Avatar, Beautiful Mind, and so many more. And he passed away in in 2015, and that is too soon. And yet just, he's one of those guys that isn't talked about enough, Mm -hmm. but you look through his credits and you're like, holy fuck, you wrote the soundtrack to my childhood. Absolutely. And good stuff. And I will say, like, John Williams gets a lot of credit because I will say, John Williams writes a lot of very memorable mm. melodies mm-hmm. very memorable like if you're if you're singing a soundtrack song i bet you're singing one from john williams because if you if you yeah. need if you want to sell that your movie and you need a song that's going to get stuck in people's heads you're going to go with john williams james horner 
not necessarily will make you a song that has a melody that you're going to hum, but he's going to write you music that absolutely supports what you're putting on the screen and works very well. And you'll be at the time you're listening to it, you're like, oh man, that's some good music. And then you kind of forget about it. And then when you go back, Mm -hmm. every time, I swear to God, every time I go back and watch, uh, did you say Predator? Was he on that one? Or was that uh, I did not. Uh, Commando. Commando. There was something else that you mentioned that triggered it for me, and I can't remember which movie you mentioned, but there's another one that constantly- Commando, Willow, Field of Dreams, <laughs> Glory, Rocketeer, Legend of the Fall, Braveheart, Apollo 13, Titanic, Avatar, oh. Beautiful Mind, and many, many more. Braveheart. Braveheart's the one that triggered it for me, where yeah. it's like, I couldn't sing you anything from Braveheart, but every time I hear it, I'm like, there's, yeah. n- there's no way this movie works without this music. Yeah, it's actually funny. The, the album, the, the soundtrack and the score for Braveheart- for me, it actually was a long time. I listened to that when I was studying because oh, um, yeah. I listen to music. I listen to music when I read, like if, even if I'm reading a comic book, if I'm reading whatever regular books or whatever, I need some kind of music mm-hmm. to block out the other world around me. And so I like instrumental. So I typically listen to Yanni. I listen to soundtracks. And actually, for the longest time, I kind of went back and forth between Braveheart soundtrack and the uh, Lord of the Rings soundtrack. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I went back and forth and back and forth. The Braveheart soundtrack, man, is just phenomenal. Yeah. So, all right. The cast on this film, Alan Parrish is played by Robin Williams. We talked about him before. Uh, Robin Williams. I mean, I don't need to mention him. Y'all know who he is. He is our childhood. Absolutely. (laughs) He's amazing. Uh, Judy Shepard is played by Kirsten Dunst. We knew her from Bring It On, the Spider-Man films. Huge actress. Interview with a Vampire. Interview with the Vampire, yes. And that is a movie we need to get to as well. It's a absolutely. long movie. Yes. But it's one we both love. Yes, absolutely. Peter Shepard was played by Bradley Pierce. Uh, he was the voice of Tails in the Sonic and Hedgehog cartoon okay. from the 90s. He was in The Borrowers, and he was also the voice of Chip in the Beauty and the Beast movie. Oh, nice. So Chip is the uh, little cup yeah. that had the chip in it. Yep. So very cool. Uh, Sarah Whittle is played by Bonnie Hunt. Uh, you would remember her from Green Mile, Jerry Maguire. She actually had a voice in multiple Pixar films. Mm-hmm. But funny enough, I think the thing I remember her best from, maybe besides Jumanji, is actually the Beethoven franchise. Uh, she was the <laughs> mom in uh, the first two of those films. Okay. so I, I remember, I feel like I was the only kid at the time who hated the Beethoven movies. <laughs> is that why we haven't talked to Beethoven? Probably. I did not like them. <laughs> okay. All right. Fine. Fair enough. Uh, Van Pelt and also Sam Parrish, the father, were, were done by Jonathan Hyde. We talked about him when we discussed The Mummy. He has also been in Titanic, Anaconda, and Richie Rich. Uh, he's been in quite a bit of stuff. Very good actor. And then Carl Bentley was done by David Allen Greer. We talked about him with In Living Color, but he is a fantastic kind of comedian and like side character comedian. He's yeah. just he's a wonderful guy. Yeah. Wonderful. Uh, this film had a budget of two hundred, or sorry, budget of sixty-five million, and it grossed two hundred and sixty-three million. So that is a significant yeah. gain on what I think it uh, ended up beating out what it thought it was going to be. So yeah, this is um, a big hit. And as I mentioned before, there was an animated show that followed this series. Um, it had three seasons, 40 total episodes, and I did watch some of that show at all. Did you watch the Jumanji cartoon at I all? I don't remember it, so I don't think so. I may have, but it definitely doesn't, uh, saying it doesn't trigger anything in my head. 
And it wouldn't, it didn't start until like 96 or something. And you were 16 at that time. So probably, or, you know, 15 to 16, you're probably not watching uh, this cartoon, but I did watch it a little bit. Um, And there were also two uh, more recent sequels also that we discussed. There was Welcome to the Jungle and The Next Level. And also there will be another one, a fourth movie kind of in the series coming out. I believe it's saying around 2024. Okay. So have you seen have you seen those? Yeah, I saw them. I thought they were I think they were funny. I thought they were a great kind of continuation mm-hmm. of you know, I, I immediately was like, okay, I have to disassociate this with the original. And you know what? You could actually watch them and not associate them with the original or associate them with the original and it yeah. works just as well. Yeah, they actually do a good job of tying it in. I was surprised, and I think for a lot of people, they got surprised at how good Welcome to the Jungle was. Yes. I, I And I can't remember, you know what, because I didn't watch it for the longest time, and I can't remember if it was you that told me it was actually quite good I probably or was. someone else. Yeah, probably was. And then I eventually watched it, and me and my wife watched it, and we both loved it. Yeah. And we were like, wow, this is really, really good. And it kind of tied in to the original, too, so I was like, but it didn't. It didn't really, but it kind of did. It didn't so. feel like it stepped on the feet of the original. Yeah. It it they they both can exist, and if you want to associate them together, you can. And if you don't want to associate them together, it still works. Absolutely, um, yeah. So really enjoy that. And uh, apparently, I found out according to the uh, author of the book from the nineteen eighty one book. Um, he says that the uh, word Jumanji is a Zulu word that means. Many effects. So kind of like, you know, the many mm-hmm. things happening and whatnot. So that kind of makes sense for all the wild shenanigans that are going to happen. All right. Let's get into our scene-by-scene breakdown. And we start off in 1869. Two kids, they bury something in a box. We hear the beating of drums. Uh, I like the line here. What if someone digs it up? And then this other kid kind of looks just kind of off camera and goes, May God have mercy on his soul. May God have mercy on his soul. Like, it was such a <laughs> cheesy moment. <laughs> it kind of set up the movie in a good way. I was like, yeah. oh, that is intense, but also kind of cheesy. Yeah. <laughs> the way he did it. So we transition to 100 years later in 1969, and we meet a young Alan Parrish. He's got some bullies that chase him on his bike, and, you know, he's kind of like a you know, insecure little kid, and he uh, gets to his dad's shoe factory we also meet carl aka the soul man played by <laughs> david allen career um and he's got a prototype for a basketball shoe and you know it looks really good and um you can absolutely imagine like oh wow if they could have gotten that in the 60s late 60s early 70s gotten on the the, the basketball shoe train before they got really huge yeah uh yeah that the pair of shoe company would have taken over nike and 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 been <laughs> The huge ones. Absolutely. But, um, yeah. And we meet the father who's kind of like this strict hard ass who, you know, the way he teaches his son is, oh, you got to act like a man now. And you know what? You know, don't don't hide away from your bullies. Go and face them and all this kind of you know, be just be a man. You know, as a father yourself, how do you feel your tactic is for teaching your kids? And I say particularly your son when it comes to manhood. Do you feel you're more Alan Parrish or do you feel you're, I don't, I don't have a good comparison right. on the other one. Yeah. You know what? It is a very tough tightrope to walk because on the one hand, they 
they're going to have to experience things for themselves. And some of those experiences are going to be negative, And you have to accept that some of them are going to be negative. On the other hand, you're a father. Your instinct is to protect your child at all costs. And I was, as we were watching this, we actually watched this at dinner last night um, uh, as a family. I was thinking to myself, what would you do in this situation? And I'll be honest, I don't know that I've come up with a good answer yet. Um, It's tough. Now, to be fair... To Alan, to the kid, Alan didn't get bullied by one kid. He got gang jumped. Yeah. That's different. If it's one kid that I think they need to stand up to, yeah, they're going to have to man up. If it's a group of people, that's not bullying. That's assault. And I will absolutely, if anyone is curious, I will absolutely jump into the middle of a bunch of kids who are trying to gang jump my son, and I will beat the snot out of some kids for doing stupid stuff like that. Oh. Yeah, I would I would not hesitate. Exactly. And I'm and I'm an uncle and I don't care. If I saw like a multiple kids jump on my nephew, mm-hmm. I would take them and I would fucking crack their skull. <laughs> Absolutely. I'd probably go too far and then I would have to run and say, John, you don't know me, and I'd go. But like, yeah. That's like, you would know where to stop. I probably wouldn't, but like, just in general. But like, yes, I, I wholeheartedly agree. Um it is a it's a pretty much a tough line, but Alan's dad doesn't really not not really know where like he he just kind of expects them. Like, you know what? Thinking about it, this town is 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 basically run by that factory, right? And all that kind of stuff. And so like, Mister Parrish could just fire their dads or get their dads really fucked yeah. and just be like, you know what? You fuck with my son, I ruin your life. <laughs> but, Thinking about that as the father of a kid, knowing you know if if. If I was one of those bullies' fathers, I would absolutely be like, "Don't you dare touch that kid, because your yeah. livelihood re- re- revolves around whether that kid is healthy." Because if I get fired, what are we going to eat? Yeah, exactly. He that kid he should be untouchable. As funny as it is, but oh well. Uh, so Alan does he leaves you know the uh, the factory and gets beaten up by a whole bunch of these bullies. He then hears the beating of the drums in this construction area you know that's been kind of digging around there, and he investigates. He finds this old box, and inside of it is a game called Jumanji. He takes it and he brings it home uh, that night. His father, his father and his mother, telling him that he's going to try. You know they're going to send him to this cliffside school for boys. Uh, which is some rich place. I'm like, why isn't he there already? I guess maybe he's not old enough to go there. Yeah. But I mean, for some reason, they're excited. Both of them are excited about it. Like this is the opportunity of a lifetime. Yeah. I mean, and I, I'll be honest. Like as a kid, going off to another school, like away from home, does not sound like the opportunity of a lifetime. But like when you're getting beaten up, like Alan is, he might like that. That's- and, but in, but it's right. It's weird. He doesn't though. In this time, he does not want to, and so he kind of fights with his dad about it. Yeah. But I, my initial thought was like, hey, from what I've seen so far, you probably might do good over <laughs> at some other place. Now, his his rationale was, you know, people are beating me up for, you know, you owning this factory here. They're all going to beat me up because I'm named after this entire building. But again, that's a prep school where everybody else is fucking rich. I right. think they're all going to understand. And, oh, and then they realize, oh, you're the richest of the rich. They'll probably not beat you up. They're not physical. Like, they're not blue collar worker kids. Right. They are... Richie fucks. Yeah. So, but anyway, whatever. 
So they end up, uh, the parents end up leaving for an event and Alan is trying to decide he's going to go run away. And as he's about to leave, his friend Sarah comes over and this is, they kind of tie this a little bit with Sarah's his friend who's just a friend, but the boyfriend who was one of the kids leading the gang to beat him up, even though they're like in middle school. Yeah. So, it seemed like, like middle school. I didn't under, I didn't need the boyfriend aspect because it's like, y'all are too fucking young to have boyfriends right. and girlfriends. Yeah. So. So that was really unnecessary. But anyway, uh, so she comes over and they he ends up pulling out the game that he found and she's not interested in playing. And so she just kind of throws the dice, you know, kind of back at the board and it ends up moving one of the pieces on its own. And Alan's like, it's got to be magnetized or something. We know it's magical. Some shit's going <laughs> down. And it says this first this first one says. At night they fly, you better run. These winged things are not much fun. And then they hear bats in the chimney. They just hear some noises. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, what's going on? Alan then kind of accidentally rolls as well. And it goes, in the jungle, you must wait until the dice read five or eight. And so Alan then gets sucked into the game. And then bats fly out the chimney from earlier. And Sarah gets super scared as hell and runs away. We then see 26 years later. Uh, this woman buys a house. We found out she's an aunt and a guardian of Judy and Peter, uh, who are both kids who lost their parents in a car crash. And they're all kind of weird kids. Um, they mentioned Peter won't talk. But the thing is, Peter talks this entire fucking movie. Right. So why was that even a thing? Like they, they, they try. It's like they tried. I, I, they might have had a cutout scene where Peter had trouble. He could talk to Judy early on. Right. Maybe he didn't talk to to adults, and I'm guessing there was a scene cut where he learned to talk to adults better, but, like, overall, this was a storyline that went nowhere of why did I need to know that he doesn't talk very much the only, at all? The only person he didn't talk to really was the, um, the broker, the lady, the real estate agent. Yeah. You're right, because after that, he talks just fine to Alan and Sarah and, of course, his sister. Yeah, so it just felt kind of strange. But um, and also it's also a bit of another thread of, yes, we see uh, Judy is eh, a bit dramatic and she's prone to kind of like making things up and lying and like kind of fucking with people and stuff. But what kid isn't? What kid isn't? I would have liked it to become a story point very similar to, you know, the whole Peter thing, like. Why mention that if it's not really a thing? You know, at one point she got grounded from her aunt because of it, but like that went nowhere. Right. Like literally, it did, really didn't mean shit. So it's just like there's little storylines other than I guess I just get that they're the death of their parents affected them, but it didn't feel like much to me. And so, all right. They all end up getting scared because they hear like a bat. Uh, in like the attic, an exterminator come o- comes over, tells Judy about the story of Alan Parrish and how he believes the dad killed him and chopped him up and hid him somewhere. So the next day, uh, about to go to school, the kids hear the beating of the drums. And this is a repetitive thing that we saw from the very, very first scene is that these drums calls out to kids and pretty much kids alone and maybe even just specific kids um, to play this game. And so they don't go to school. They find the game upstairs and it's got two pieces on it on the board already that won't move. And then Peter picks up two pieces that fly onto the board. And Judy says, it's got to be microchips or something. I thought that was a cute little callback. Yeah. 
Yeah, they just kind of threw it back to, oh, it's got to be magnetized. It's got to be microchipped. Ha ha ha. This has been 26 years apart and, you know, see how technology has changed. So they start playing. And with the first roll, a tiny bite can make you itch, make you sneeze, make you twitch. And then these big ass mosquitoes come in and then end up leaving out the window and whatnot. They fly away. Uh, Peter does his roll and we get... This will not be an easy mission. Monkeys slow the expedition. And a group of monkeys in the kitchen. And yeah, ha ha, they're (laughs) causing havoc. And here's where I want to mention the graphics for this film. (laughs) And the mosquitoes, it worked fine. The monkeys is really where I kind of went, ew. Yeah. It was was kind of fine in in the 90s. Um, yeah. but here it definitely did not work. Yeah, at the time, at the time they were cutting edge. Yeah. You know, they were very, you know, you would say lifelike, um, you know, realistic for the nineties. <laughs> but looking at it now, it's like, oh, okay, this kind of takes me out. Yeah. So uh, then they then is when they read the rules and they basically find out like, okay, shit, they have to win or else this insanity will continue. There will be these mosquitoes and these monkeys and all this kind of shit. So, okay. All right. So they start rolling again and Peter rolls. He rolls a five and it says his fangs are sharp. He likes your taste. Your party better move post haste haste. So it's a lion haha in the attic. And of course um, he goes to attack, but then, uh, Alan kind of ends up saving them and puts the uh, lion in a bedroom. So uh, we see Alan as Robin Williams aged up completely different because his thing was, you know, had a roll of five or an eight, yada, yada. So, yeah, he's back home. It's uh, it's all I, I like their little funny scene, though, because the kids at one point hide in the closet and he opens the closet and they scream and he kind of half screams back <laughs> and shuts the door. I like yeah. that one. Always that kind of makes me giggle. Yeah. Um, he goes looking for his mom and dad and, you know, they're not there. Judy kind of realizes what's going on and that that is Alan and kind of explains some things and, and all this shit. So, um, he, Alan runs outside. He's still kind of in his jungle garb. He almost gets hit by Carl Bentley, who's now a cop in his cop car. And, you know, they kind of have a slight exchange, still not, um, you know, no, Alan realizes who he is from his badge. But uh, doesn't really mention anything yet. Monkeys then steal his steal the cop car and drive off and haha shenanigans ensue from <laughs> the wild monkeys. So um, Alan tries to find his parents at the factory, but it's empty. He talks to a homeless guy who's living there. I would have loved to see that homeless guy in the first scene as well. Yeah, I was in my head. I was going through it as was he in that scene earlier? Is that someone I should have recognized? Because yeah. clearly he did used to work there. It really felt like it. He knew the people. Um, he knew that area. He had that. He even had a dog there that didn't come back. Like, you know, why? Why include the dog? Why include that guy? Um, I I don't get it. I really wish there would have been another scene with him. Right. And I wonder if maybe so. there was a deleted scene that yeah, established him. Possible. But yeah. So we see that kind of shenanigans are going on in town and the mosquitoes are biting people. Um, You know, the cops in town don't know what the hell's going on. Uh, Mosquito tries to attack Alan and the kids. They end up getting away and Alan doesn't want to help, of course, because why the fuck would he want to play that game again that put him in a jungle for 26 years? Um, But 
you know, they realize that they're not going to end this stuff and people are going to get hurt unless they finish this game. So, you know, I do like his lines. Like, I don't need to see this. I've, I've lived it. I've been there. But um, overall, you know, they convince him uh, to play it by kind of calling him a scaredy cat. Pretty much like this. They call him scared. And he's like, I'm not scared. I'll do it. <laughs> and so, all right. So they keep, they continue to play the game and the kids roll the dice and they start rolling. Nothing's happening. Then it clicks for Alan. Oh no. They're playing the same game that Alan started in, uh, 1969. They need to find Sarah to continue the game. And one of my thoughts was what would the game do if one of the players died in real life yeah i had that exact same thought like what if sarah was dead what would happen yeah (laughs) i mean would they just be fucked and have to live with these big mosquitoes and monkeys which you know at some point i would feel like the kids should have stopped with the mosquitoes and the monkeys because guess what we own these things called guns (laughs) and the cops i think would probably end up shooting the fucking monkeys if they were causing that much trouble i agree (laughs) so Anyway, that's just that's just that's my Georgia side coming out a little bit. Just shoot the fucking thing. Anyway, uh, so they go to her old house, and there there is no Sarah there. There is a psychic, uh, you know, Miss Serena or Mystic Serena, whatever the heck the name was. Uh, but it is Sarah. It's actually her. And Alan lets her know, hey, twenty six years ago, you played a game with a boy across the street, a game with drums, and uh, he is that little boy. And boom, she faints. <laughs> I like Peter Peter's little line. You killed her. So, eh, kind of funny. So, Sarah, we find out, obviously went through a lot of therapy mm-hmm. um, at this point. And, you know, she saw a guy get sucked in. Nobody believed her. She was kind of off on her own, just dealing with that post-traumatic stress stuff. And Alan kind of tricks her into rolling to continue the game. And it says they grow much faster than bamboo. Take care or they'll come after you. And all these vines start coming into the house. It's a all this kind of shit. A huge, scary flower also tries to eat uh, one of the kids and all this kind of shit. Feed me see more. Yeah, I thought the same thing. <laughs> I thought Little Shop of Horrors completely as well. So. Um, Bent, Carl Bentley finds his car kind of in ruins for after the monkeys, but it's running and he's going to go head over to the parish house. Uh, so they're continuing the game. And now Alan, ro- Alan rolls a hunter from the darkest wild makes you feel just like a child. And this is Van Pelt. He knows this guy from the Jumanji world. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he either met him or he had to run away from him or all this kind of stuff. Now he, since Alan is the one who rolled it, he has to run away while Van Pelt's trying to kill him and shoot at him uh, with his gun. Uh, Bentley, Carl Bentley. Here's here's another un, most one of the most unbelievable parts in my opinion <laughs> of this whole movie. I believe this mystical game is creating all this shit, and you can deal with this time and all this kind of time. Not quite time travel, but s esque kind of stuff. Carl Bentley is a cop. Right. He sees this guy shooting at another person. Not once. Does he call for backup? Not once does he get on the ra- Even when the guy leaves, he just gets in his car and drives off. He doesn't say, hey, there's a fire a shooting going yeah. on. Live active shooter happening on this street. He just doesn't say anything and just leaves. Yeah. It's like, you know, the guy is close. When that guy leaves, he just drives his car away. Not doesn't search for the fucking active shooter. Don't you think that would be like a top priority for a cop? That's, a, that's a, absolutely what they would do is, is uh, you know, uh, they'd call out for an active shooter they'd call for backup 
Um, if yeah. they, I mean, they would if they felt like other people's lives were in danger, which obviously they were, because he got shot at. They would start shooting back. Yeah, <laughs> he, yeah, he didn't he didn't shoot one bullet towards the guy, and then because when, when he started like looking at him again, he was gone. But that's when you're like, oh, he must have run. I need to find yeah. him. Call in a chopper. Yeah. Anything. Yeah. Talk talk to call the guy. And he's just like, okay, this is weird, and he just left. Yep. So. He's not a good cop. He's much better at making shoes than he is at being a cop, yep. apparently. Alan gets back to the house, and they continue the game. Uh, we see Sarah and Alan kind of bickering while Judy rolls, and it says, Don't be fooled. It isn't thunder. Staying put would be a blunder. And it's a stampede of wild animals, and they have to get out of the way. It's come crashing through the house. A pelican ends up stealing the game amidst the madness. Okay, this is, this is, so, where, I had a, this yeah. is where I had a contention. Ah. I was, I'm watching the movie. Elephants, rhinos, zebras, they all constitute a stampede. What does not constitute a stampede is a fucking pelican. <laughs> you're right. You're right. I, I didn't think about that, but you're right. They showed like two pelicans. A pelican is not stampede. If there was an actual stampede of pelicans, first of all, I would probably be stunned at the sight of so yeah. many pelicans that caused a stampede. Two, I would run... Pelicans are mean. They're not nice birds. So, yeah. but yes, that I had a I, for some reason that that stuck again. I can believe that uh, magical <laughs> things come out, but a pelican does not constitute a stampede. All right, I know what? I approve of that. We see Van Pelt at a gun shop, and he eventually ends up dropping a whole bunch of coins and gets this sweet badass gun. I do like the guy's line who's selling him the gun. You're not a postal worker, are you? <laughs> so fun actually I actually have two things about this one after that after that comment my son turned to me and goes why would it matter that he was a postal worker and then I had to ex- oh, I had to explain man. that to him yeah two uh, this movie was shot and I don't know if it was supposed to take place there but it was shot in New Hampshire in the town of Keene New okay. Hampshire um, of which Apparently, Robin Williams uh, was beloved in the town. Apparently, he was a very nice person. Nice. And they, they still have the Paris Shoes sign in the town of Keene. And when he died in 2014, they surrounded it um, with flowers and gifts and stuff like that. They did a, a live showing downtown of Jumanji. They apparently just love the guy. But New Hampshire is basically famous for stay the fuck out of my business. I mean, their their motto is "Live free or die." Uh, yeah. You do not need a permit of any kind to buy, purchase, or carry a gun in New Hampshire. Oh, really? Yes. I don't think about that in New Hampshire being like a, a northeastern state, but yeah, okay. Well, it's, it's it's because they they do they don't like that for some reason that particular doesn't matter if it's it, they tend to to vote Democrat, but they very much are like keep your government out of my state. So, like you, they have what's called constitutional carry. So you do not need a permit at all to to conceal carry a, a weapon there. And I'm pretty sure they wouldn't have had a waiting period. Now, I'm saying that without actually doing any research as to whether or not they had a waiting period. Yeah. But I, to me, it seems it seems weird that they would. But I will say that if they did have a waiting period, I could believe the owner being like, "All right, if you want to do this under the table, we'll do it under the table." <laughs> yeah, which he did. So, <laughs> all right, uh, Alan tracks down the pelican. Ultimately, the game falls into the river, and Peter tries to go after it. He does re- he does recover it, and so, yay, kind of saved the day there. But Alan's acting a little harsh towards Peter, kind of reminiscent of how his dad acted towards him. They start walking back, and Bentley sees them, 
here is where another one of my questions said, why are you walking with this game? In my head, you got the game, open the game, play the game to finish this fucking game. <laughs> like my head, it would just be stand around in a circle of four people and just roll immediately. Don't even wait for the fucking madness to come out. Just roll until you're fucking done. Yeah. But uh, that's also that when, wouldn't make for a good exactly. movie. <laughs> so Alan is apparently taken away by Carl. Uh, well, you know, because he's a suspicious person and all this craziness that's been going on. And so the others start kind of heading back. Um, but, you know, while they're about to do that, Peter rolls and he uh, is trying to beat the system because he only needs like a 10 to win. And so he tries to drop it. So the dice will land on 10 uh, or for actually he says 12. And uh, it says a law of Jumanji hadn't been broken. You will be set back more than your token. And so Peter gets devolved into a little monkey boy. <laughs> so, haha. <laughs> okay. Alan talks to Carl in the car, uh, kind of eventually lets him know, hey, I'm Alan, which obviously freaks out Carl. Um, meanwhile, the others are going, you know, through the city. Peter almost gets crushed in a stampede that goes, you know, over a car and whatnot. Van Pelt ends up kind of stealing the game, stealing the game, and then they get the game back. And then there's like this whole shootout kind of thing in like this department store. And he's trying to get Sarah to bring Alan to him and all this kind of shit. Because his goal is he's supposed to kill Alan. That's his mm -hmm. whole role. Um, but then uh, Carl decides to let Alan go. But then Alan handcuffs Carl to the car. I don't really know why he did that. Because he let him go. But then he ultimately has to hear. He hears over the radio that there's shit going down at the department store. And so he has to ride in the car with Carl you know, handcuffed to get over there while Van Pelt's wreaking havoc and all this kind of shit. Alan ends up crashing the cop car through the, uh, you know, side of this department store and it puts paint drop it all over Van Pelt. So, mm -hmm. okay. Or paint cans. I'll yeah. say Alan talks to Peter on the walk back. And again, he's kind of realizing that he's talking too harshly to him, just like his, his own father talked harshly to, to Alan when he was younger. And, we see Peter crying for a little bit, but it's not because he's being talked to harshly. It's because his ass hurts. <laughs> and Alan helps rip open his pants so his tail can come out. So, haha, <laughs> kind of funny. Uh, they get back, and uh, the house is basically being taken over by the jungle and the vines mm -hmm. and all this kind of shit. Carl coincidentally meets with the ant, um, and a vine takes his car. And so now his car, which has kind of been beaten up through and through throughout the movie has now been like completely crushed. Just kind of a funny little continuing gag that they had throughout the movie. Yeah. It's Sarah's turn to roll. And so she does every month of the quarter moon, there'll be a monsoon in your lagoon. And so obviously it means a monsoon is happening. It's going to happen. actually happens inside the house as opposed to outside the house because game, <laughs> it didn't mention it, but apparently crocodiles come with the monsoon. I don't know why right. that doesn't make any sense to me, but whatever. And so now there's this, all these death defying things that happen and they have to, you know, avoid the crocodiles and avoid drowning and all this kind of shit. Uh, it's Alan, Alan's turn. And so he rolls, beware the ground on which you stand. The floor is quicker than the sand. So at this point they're up in the attic now and the wooden floor beneath him is now becomes kind of quicksand. And the graphics on this quicksand 
really made me cringe. It was actually worse than the monkeys to yeah, me. Yeah, it was pretty bad. Thankfully, it was fairly quick. So, mm-hmm. and they, there's a lot of yeah. cutaway, so you don't have to focus on it too much. Yeah, yeah. So he he ends up getting kind of trapped in the uh, the wood floor because uh, Judy thinks quick enough that you know this will stop the second that she rolls her turn, and so she rolls her turn, and it it just makes the wood turn back to wood. So he's kind of stuck into the sand. And um, so she rolls and hers says, there is a lesson you must learn. Sometimes you must go back a turn and then nothing happens. We don't even see, we don't see like, did her pawn, did her, did her thing go, did it move back a space or what? Like literally nothing happened because then the, 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 the thing, the wood stopped, you know, being quicksand and then it's Peter's turn and Peter rolls. And so I didn't get that one. Like, it actually didn't make sense to me, but all right, whatever. We're all kind of, again, it's in a panic right now, but I just, it did, it did bother me when I was watching it. It was like, okay, you go back a turn. What does go back a turn mean? Does that mean it's Alan's turn again? Right. Or does that mean you have to roll again? Or does that mean your pawn moves back? I don't, I don't know. It didn't show me. And so as a board game (laughs) person, I enjoy board games. I like to know the rules and I want to know what the fuck that actually meant. And so I don't know. Just in case. Yeah. Um, speaking of that, though, there is a Jumanji board game. Did you uh, have you ever played that game, or do you own that game at all? Um, no, we had like well, we had like a Jumanji Travelers board game thing. It was like a small okay. little version. It wasn't particularly any fun. There really okay. wasn't much to it. You just rolled and moved, and that was it. Okay. So I don't know. We haven't we haven't gotten any kind of big version of the game. If, if not, I haven't really looked it up. I mean, that's pretty much how Jumanji is. You roll and then move and then like wild shit happens. But I could see how wild shit happens in real life. But like in the board game itself, what does that mean? Right. I don't know. Maybe it would be better. It it reminded me of a game. uh, Oh, God. What was that game that your kids wrote? I can't remember the name of it, but I know. Bad situation. Bad situation. Your, your son wrote, you're in a bad situation. And it was very much like Jumanji. Where literally, I swear, half the cards your son put down were go back to the beginning. Right. And so it, I, I couldn't get past like the fifth square because I would have to start <laughs> back from the top. And it, and it was just too, too difficult. And I was just like, yeah, it kind of reminded me of Jumanji. Yeah. So <laughs> that was it. Like That whole week that I saw them that week, they were like, you're in a bad situation. <laughs> like, haha. Okay. All right. So it's Peter's turn. He rolls. Need a hand? Just wait. We'll help you out. We each have eight. And so there's obviously spiders. They come. They attack. I did like the shot, though, of you see over the shoulder of, I can't remember who rolled it. I think it was Judy who rolled it. Uh, P- Peter did Peter the rolling, did the rolling but, the spider but you're, you're seeing, like, you, you, you go back to, a, you know, a a shot on Peter's face and you can see the window over the shoulder and you see the silhouette of the spider come down into frame. Yeah. I thought that was a particularly good shot. It was the, sh- the silhouette of the spider was better than the spiders. Themselves. Agreed. Uh, you know, with the, with yeah. the, the graphics and stuff, but that particular, you know, shot with the silhouette I thought was mm. really good. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, so now they have to protect, Sarah and Alan are both stuck in the floor because Alan was obviously uh, dropping from the quicksand. Sarah tried to save him. So her arms are stuck kind of down in the wood as well. So, um, so now Peter has to go find an ax. Sarah's like kicking these spiders away and all this kind of shit. Um, And 
so he ends up getting Bax with the axe. I do like his little quick scene of he's trying to get an axe from the woodshed. Uh, and so he goes out there. The, it's locked. He grabs something to try to break open the lock with it. Oh, it's the axe that was sitting right outside. And then he has a little look to the camera. It's like, idiot. And then he has to go. He's like, oh, shit. I did, and then I did like that joke. In fact, I made it a point of my son was leaving the room right before that to like go to the bathroom. I said, no, stop. I like this joke. You got to watch it. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good joke. Judy ends up getting shot in the neck with barbs from like a poisonous flower and Peter's fighting the spiders with axes. Sarah has to roll with her mouth and she gets another roll. You're almost there with much at stake, but now the ground begins to quake. And so, of course, it's going to be an earthquake. Shit starts breaking apart. It scares the spiders away. The whole house is basically falling apart. The floor that kind of trapped them before is now kind of broken up. And so Alan has to try and like, rescue everything it's his turn it's his turn now he grabs a vine starts swinging around he grabs the game opens it up and roll and grabs the dice and then van pelt covered in paint from it being dropped on him points his uh sweet gun at um alan he's like what do you have in your hand you have to drop it and so he drops it it's the dice he only has like two spaces in front of him and then the the end and so he needs anything but snake eyes right the part that he sees is a one the other part that keeps rolling and rolling as van pelt's talking and then it eventually stops is a two and he gets to the final spot van pelt asks him do you have any last words and he says jumanji jumanji that's uh, sucks everything up. That was the winning of the game. Yay. Um, everything ends up getting returned to 1969 because that's when this game started. Young Alan runs to his father, gives him a hug. Um, at this moment, it's the mind of like a 40 year old guy and a kid. And uh, same with Sarah. They have to deal with that. Um, Alan does admit to fucking up with Carl's shoes and that kind of stuff and ruining the machine that got Carl fired from back in the day, but it doesn't. And then Sarah and Peter throw the game into the river. And I thought to myself, why the fuck didn't you burn that thing? <laughs> like why throw that into a river just to possibly be found again? Maybe you should put that thing into the same goddamn machine that tore up uh, Carl's shoes or light it on fire or something. But I don't know. <laughs> Whatever. It's magic. Let's just assume it can't be burned. Yeah. She does say, though, that she uh, she mentions, I'm starting to forget what it's like being a grown-up. So we can kind of assume they're going to forget everything about their kind of future lives. They do say, specifically mention, as long as we don't forget each other or Judy and Peter. And so, like, we can kind of imagine, you know, whatever, just because they say that their brains worked where they remember each other and they remember Judy and Peter and that's it. But like the other aspects of being adults are kind of wiped from their brains. Yeah. Uh, Sarah kisses Peter before she feels too much like a kid. And we then transition to the nineties and Sarah and Alan are a couple. She's pregnant. They meet with uh, Judy and Peter's parents who are now alive because Alan apparently hired her dad that's funny. They have a little time where he's like, oh, we're about to go up to the to a skiing town or whatever. And they're like, no, don't do it uh, on the, for the skiing trip because that's where they died in a car crash. And so, of course, they don't want that to happen. So 
ha ha ha. Um, they meet Judy and Peter kind of close to the ages of when they remember them, and it's all wonderful. And the game washes up on the beach, and it's gonna fuck up some other kids' lives. <laughs> yeah, it sounded like somewhere French speaking, and so okay. And yeah, uh, so my first thought was, uh, how the hell did it get all the way to France? And then, and then my wife goes, maybe it's Quebec. And I'm like, you know what? I'm more likely to believe that it's Quebec. Oh, okay. Quebec is a lot sure. closer to New Hampshire. <laughs> yeah, because New Hampshire is not like um, on the ocean. Right. Actually, I wonder if it's, <laughs> I got to look at the map. I wonder if it's right there. Because I'm not very good yeah. at remembering exactly where my Canadian provinces are, especially on the East yeah. Coast. Uh, I have. Yes, actually, no it would have. It would be, be Quebec. Because uh, that's oh, okay. New Hampshire borders Quebec. There we go. So fucking up some French Canadian yep. lives. Some Quebecois. So yeah, that's the end of our film. I'll go first because sure. I'm actually pretty short and sweet. And then I'm kind of curious for you if you can elaborate your thoughts. But then of course your family's thoughts. You know, the the if your wife watched it, the fam, the kids, and then that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah, there's stuff that doesn't work when you really dissect the film on like okay, that storyline is kind of weird, or this doesn't really work, or that doesn't work. But overall, this was a solid movie, in my opinion. I enjoyed myself, even rewatching it now as I'm older. Yeah, the graphics don't really fit, but the story fits, and I and that makes me the most happiest. There were some slow parts, actually, some little bit of slow parts. I didn't care about Carl really all that much um, and some of that storyline, mm-hmm. but it was fine. Like, some slow bits in the second act, but overall, I was pleased. I found myself enjoying this movie enough. So, how about you? Yeah, I had fun rewatching it. I, you know, I always enjoy watching Robin Williams. And actually, I, I read a note where the director was a little concerned that Robin Williams was going to improv too much uh, with this. But I think Robin Williams, it looks like, understood that this was a very kind of tightly structured story, and so he couldn't go off mm-hmm. the rails a little bit. Um, and it sounded like he he did get to do a little bit of improv with Bonnie Hunt. So their scenes together, he would he would kind of do some stuff, but uh, largely stuck to it. And I think we're all better for it um, because we got a fantastic performance out of him. Graphics aside, I think it's still a great movie for kids. I definitely remembered reading the book when I was younger. Oh, really? I never I never read the book. Yeah, we actually didn't talk about our memory of this movie. So, um, sorry to, sure. to kind of sidetrack that. Can we can we inject that a little bit? Yeah. So I I definitely remember seeing this when when I was uh, younger. Probably saw it in the theater. I don't know for sure, but I probably did see it. I remember loving it then, and I've seen it a few times since then. I'm pretty sure I've shown it to my kids. They might have been too young to really take it in or remember. But I will say when I told my son that I needed to watch it, he was excited. Like to the point where he's like, can we watch it now? How about now? Now? What about now? And so he was really excited to watch the movie. My daughter loved it. My wife loved going back and to revisit it. And so it's, I still held on to the nostalgia of the movie. And to me, graphics aside, it still worked. Nice. Yep. Wholeheartedly agree. All right, now we're going to talk Nick Arcade. This show was from 1992, and it had their their reruns would go all the way up until 1997. There were two seasons, 84 total episodes. Uh, this show was created by Kareem Matif, 
and or Mitef or Mitef. I think you had it right, Matif. Matif, okay, Matif, and James Bathia, um, who James Bathia would eventually become the head of programming for UPN. Oh, okay. That's pretty yeah. cool. And he actually ended up appearing on a side note uh, in cameos in the movies Iron Man and Iron Man 2. Because he was good friends with uh, John Favreau in high school. Oh. And they were kind of like comic book nerd friends yeah. together and that kind that's of stuff. That's awesome. So, I like that. Cool. Yeah. This show was hosted by Phil Moore. He really didn't do too much else besides this. He was a panelist on Figure It Out every now mm-hmm. and then, and I enjoyed the show Figure It Out. Uh, but I saw that before this, he was a warm-up like audience comedian for the show Remote Control on TV on MTV. Oh yeah, I remember that show. So and, and I have been on like some live tapings before where they have like a warm up comedian because mm-hmm. you want the audience like always laughing, always yeah. clapping, and so they have a funny person to kind of help out with that. Put them in a good mood. So yeah, uh, the announcer was Andrea Lively. She didn't really do anything else besides this, and uh, this show itself was a game show. It was a nickel and Nickelodeon at that time in like the early nineties, late eighties was the king of kids game shows. So they would have two teams of, um, you know, two kid contestants. It was always like a boy and a girl uh, on each team. And they would have trivia rounds and video game playing rounds. And you'd end up earning points in the progress. And then the team with like the highest point after those first two rounds would go into the final level to face like the, uh, the, the wizard level or whatever they call it. Not whatever they call it. They called it the, um, the video zone was that final level. And you jump into virtual reality. You would go inside the game and who didn't want to be on this show. (laughs) Like, tell me about what you remember from watching this when you were younger. Well, I'll be honest, at first, I didn't have much of a nostalgic memory when I saw it on the schedule. I'm like, I kind of remember it being a thing, but I'm, I'm not remembering too much about it. Then I actually watched an episode, and I remembered a whole bunch about it, especially the complete reskinning of Pong that happened at the beginning of every, <laughs> and they playing it off yeah. as if it was a different game, even though it was the same game every time. Uh, Mikey, I definitely yes. remembered Mikey, so I absolutely remember. And yeah. then the 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 whole thing at the end, you said the video zone. That one, it did hit me. So once this thing actually got started, I absolutely remember watching it a lot because we did love our Nickelodeon. Actually, we just loved our game shows, uh, which mm-hmm. we watched. We definitely watched the kid ones, but we've talked about we always loved you know stuff like. Uh, Jeopardy and stuff like, but like American Gladiators, which isn't technically yeah. a game show, but it's a contest and all stuff yeah. like that. We definitely loved all those. So yeah, one hundred percent. I mean, I remembered bits of the game, but I kind of did. I remembered the virtual reality aspect of the video zone, but like the earlier aspects of the Pong remake stuff and the uh, the trivia was easy enough or kind of like, yeah, that's basic. But like, yeah, Mikey. So Mikey was like this pseudo kind of mascot or character. And so you would have to move Mikey to get to the um, to the certain like goal spot. And if you did, your team won that round or whatever. But like you'd have to move him and it would be random what was on the spot. And so you could kind of either, you know, get a trivia question or you could go to the 
game area or you could do other stuff to kind of get more points during this swap. But I totally remember, yeah, that whole Mikey thing and, and their, the bully and all this kind of shit. Um, and there is even like a music that they played when Mikey would move from one square to the other. Even that hit me with nostalgia. Now, red team, you have the face-off points of 25, and you get control of Mikey. You get to move him first. What direction? Left. Okay, Mikey's going left. So, I absolutely, this was a show that I remember watching. Um, it, it was on frequent enough because we were, yeah, right. We were fans of game shows. We were fans of Nickelodeon, and this shit was just constantly on. So, one thing this show did pretty well was integrate those arcade feels, those arcade games. And I absolutely, I think some big games were maybe not introduced, but they got somewhat popularized with the show, including something like Battletoads, because that was usually uh, one of the cabinets yeah. that you could pick from. Yep. And so it was actually like, I remember even just watching it now, I was like, oh, the, I remember the section where they're picking what game to play um, for one of the portions of the games. Uh, or one of like the side mini games, if you will, and Battletoads was one of the games to pick. And I'm like, yeah, they y- you pick Battletoads because that was the game that people knew and it was kind of big and popular. Um, but it was just fun. It was a fun game, uh, fun game show. And then the winners of the first two rounds would end up going to the video zone. And so you had to incorporate these kids who would get into a um, video game pretty much and they would have to touch the right spot and then go over and like collect something and then the next kid would do it and they had to jump over something reach for something bend down i absolutely remembered when i was younger and it stuck true pretty much to when i saw it now the maybe not effectiveness but the um i don't know the overall reaction times and the (laughs) the the virtual reality wasn't as um top notch and it also wasn't like super responsive right <laughs> so i uh, i actually watched two episodes because uh, yeah. i watched one by myself and then i i sat my right after actually right after we watched jumanji uh i showed nick arcade to see if my wife remembered it she didn't really remember it i don't think she watched it um but okay. my son loves game shows so i was like here let's watch this one I'm not sure he dug this one as much as some of the other ones. There were some parts where he was like, oh, that's cool. But I think overall, you know, he's got better looking video games now. So I think the the graphics were a little bit of a turnoff for him. And that's understandable. Uh-huh. But I also watched a little like special that someone on YouTube had put together on this show. And they showed a little bit of the the background of that whole part. And that was like, first of all, they followed the regulations that regular game shows had to follow. So certain things yeah. had to be randomized, nothing could be changed like on the spot, like everything had to play out as exactly uh random as it was as you would think in a regular video game. So they did adhere to those rules. And those guys, they showed the I saw behind the scenes of that particular thing, the video zone. It's a big giant mm-hmm. blue screen with like stairs and stuff like that. The kids are have they're basically having to watch a screen where the stuff are and basically run up and down these stairs to try and touch stuff everything was like run on like an amiga yes. uh, computer which was the only thing that had this kind of technology yeah so i i watched something as well. we might have watched the same program okay um it was actually the largest blue screen built of that time but you're right so what it did was it basically took chroma keying and so what chroma key did was it, it took out all of the blue mm-hmm. 
and then you were left with just like this own uh, image, like whatever the image was, and then like that was like the leftover from the chroma key, and that was turned into a quote unquote what they called sprite in the game, and then that is like a, a playable thing, and so your body it was kind of like connect, you know, which they don't even have anymore, right. but like you know think like yeah virtual reality stuff um, before that really became a thing. And yeah, and, and it was run on like, yeah, an Amiga uh, and Amigo or whatever. It was really impressive for the time. Like this kind of technology in 1992, I was very, very um, surprised by what it did. And, and even though it, was, it wasn't the most responsive, it was actually still pretty decent. It still did a pretty damn good job. And like most of these kids couldn't get out of the way in right. time and all this kind of stuff. And they would get knocked up, knocked apart. And I remember... You know, you watch it and you're just like, fucking jump, kid. It's not fucking hard. Like, just, you know, just jump out of the way from the snake or duck down, you know, when you're on this magic carpet ride or that mine cart thing or all this other different kind of stuff. And then you had to go and collect the orbs at the end from like the Murloc or the other different Mongo or whoever. Yeah, Mongo. (laughs) Exactly. Um, But like, this was a game I would have loved to play. Yeah. It would have been a lot of fun. Uh, I also saw like, much like a double dare, like the final prize was like a, usually a trip to Universal Studios Florida, which they were already at. Yes, I saw that. <laughs> it was like, are you kidding me? They're filming there, and then that's the prize. Like, wow, that's kind that's of ridiculous. Like, that's like that's like me winning a trip to Vegas. Which yeah, I'll be honest, I'll enter a trip to Vegas. I just see it as a staycation. You know, stay down on the strip. That's fine. Yeah, exactly. Well, exactly. Go to a sweet uh, casino. Yeah. That'd be great. I just don't have to bother so. with the flight or anything. So there were some special episodes. They had an episode where the cast of Clarissa Explains It All was on an episode, a ca- an episode where Salute Your Shorts mm-hmm. uh, did one, and then also one of Welcome Freshman, which is must have been a show I don't yeah. remember at all. But um, that, uh, and also um, Sync guy Joey Fatone was on an episode when he was yep. younger, back when he was still known as Joseph Fatone. And I, I always forget that all those... Um in sync guys and Backstreet Boys guys, they all came out of Florida. Oh, okay. Yeah, a, yeah, because they came out of like the Universal area because they were all in that whole world and they stuff. Were. So, yeah, true. So, uh, the show itself you can find on Paramount Plus right now if you have Paramount Plus, but there's a bunch of episodes on YouTube. Mm-hmm. You can very easily find full episodes on yeah. YouTube. So, I highly recommend if you were interested in that, uh, check it out. So, we uh we watched the episode that I watched with the family for we the one team like the yellow team completely dominated the red team. They seemed to be getting all the prizes from the little thing with Mikey uh-huh. and all this stuff. And then at the end, right before it happened, I was like, "You know what? I don't know that I remember ever seeing a team win." And then they won. Oh shit. So, very It was cool. it was uh, kind of an in- interesting uh episode. It was weird. It was a team uh, every team was a boy and a girl. Every team was always yes. a boy and a girl. The girl looked like she was ripped away from the mall to get there. Like she did not want to be there. <laughs> she never high fived her teammate. She just she looked bored. Like she didn't want to participate. And then they won because this kid, kind of a tall nerdy kid, he was in the marching band. They even said that at the beginning. He's like, I play trombone in the marching band. <laughs> And you could see, like, this girl's like, I can't believe I'm turned up with this nerd. And then this nerd basically won her all of these prizes. Oh, that's cool. Kids, if you're listening, first of all, you shouldn't be listening. This is not the podcast for you. 
Uh, but if you're if you're listening, give the nerd a chance because you never know what you'll get out of it. You yeah. might get a free trip to Universal. <laughs> exactly. Actually, I'm pretty sure they want a ping pong table too. So. Oh, well, that's pretty cool. It's very cool. Yeah, that is the gist. I mean, it, there's not like a big storylines or other stuff to kind of really go through, but this show was entertaining. It was on. It was you know a fantastic game show on the kids game show mm-hmm. network. Um, and rewatching, I watched two episodes as well. And overall, I would say this show is just fucking awesome. And I think we need a resurgence of this game. And in general, we need a resurgence of like Nickelodeon game shows. Mm -hmm. Some of these classic things, update them. Now the technology would be fucking incredible. You can find some really cool things to do with it. I think Nick Arcade should absolutely be part of that. Bring this shit back. I Loved it. I I did see in the special there is a WWE wrestler who is absolutely campaigning to be the next uh-huh. host of Nick Arcade. Uh, this guy, a guy awesome. named uh, Xavier Woods, is uh, known as King Woods uh, in WWE. I think he's part of like a trio of people or something like that. I don't know. I don't know WWE very well. Yeah, he is. I, I I kind of recognize him. I don't really watch wrestling at all, but I somewhat keep updated. It's weird. I don't watch wrestling, but I'll sometimes watch wrestling youtube news (laughs) to just kind of stay updated it's kind of strange but like i kind of know the guy i mean if he's that passionate about him let him do it because you know he's he's gonna Mm -hmm. enjoy and we know he can entertain because he's he's got that entertainment background and apparently he's very big in the gaming world as well so it's not just out of nowhere like he he has like a gaming twitch stream and stuff like that so like he's already in that world um it would be fun absolutely to see a version of Nick Arcade with updated technology and yep. and just all I kinds agree. of stuff. So, yeah, I'm with you there. Let's make it happen. You and me, John. The Blastmar Past uh, presents <laughs> Nick Arcade. Podcast right. version. <laughs> uh, the sense. character's uh, moving, climbing up a tree now, and uh, we'd have to describe <laughs> everything. It's perfect. All right. This episode of the Blast From Our Past podcast is not brought to you by... Danger lurks on Fireball Island. More than a mere board game, it's a three-dimensional adventure. Your quest, the idol's jewel. Coward, I'll go first. A shark! But it's not so easy. Mountains and chasms stand in your way. And beware, your foes are out to stop you with thundering fireballs. Oh, stop her. And collapsing bridges. Oh, no! Got it! And you don't win till you're off Fireball Island, the three-dimensional adventure from Milton Bradley. All right, and now let's do the casting portion of the show. As we mentioned at the top, we are going to recast Jumanji using actors of today. Adam, you mentioned uh, before you're not too uh, not too hyped about your cast. I had to rush my mm-hmm. cast. I honestly, I wanted to put a little bit more thought into my cast, but I was very busy yesterday and so I had to do all of my prep for this episode and the episode that we recorded right before this um, earlier on top of just like some other house shit that I had to squeeze in so it was a uh, it was a rushed casting I'll say but I still think I have a pretty good cast um, other than two kids that I <laughs> slapped together pretty fast but besides that it's a good it's not as I don't know it's not as well thought out as I want it to be, but I still think it's a good movie. Okay. 
I am actually excited about my casting. The one that I am iffy about is the one you'd expect, the Robin Williams one, because there's no real way to replace him. I will say I basically stuck to a relative one-to-one casting. Um, I didn't really do anything. uh, I didn't really change much with my casting. Yeah, I I, I was pretty much one-to-one, pretty much mostly. The thing that I liked about this Robin Williams recasting was this wasn't... I wouldn't say this role is an iconic Robin Williams mm-hmm. role. It's an iconic movie for Robin Williams because it's a great movie um, that we all are nostalgic for, remember. But the role itself isn't super, as you mentioned, there's not a huge improv element. It's not really wacky. You know, it's not It's not at the spot that Mrs. Doubtfire or um, the Birdcage or some of his other characters are. This one is just like a, I feel like there was a little bit more room for other actors to fit into this role where replacing Robin Williams is so hard to do that this one, I, I don't know, I felt I felt comfortable enough recasting this Okay. One. All right, so the characters we are going to recast are Alan Parrish, Judy and Peter Shepard, the two kids, Sarah Whittle, Van Pelt, and Bentley. I didn't necessarily feel that we needed to uh, recast the parents at all, so... No, or the answer yeah. to that shit, no. So, Bentley, let's go ahead and start. And Adam, I would like to hear yours first. Sure. Um, so, I kept a black actor as my Bentley. I went with a comedic black actor. And that was somebody who I think actually even did some stuff with David Allen Greer, or at least his family did in In Living Color. I think this guy is funny. I went with Marlon Wayans. Okay, not Marlon Wayans Jr., no, you're thinking of Damon Wayans Jr. I went with Marlon Wayans, the younger brother of Damon okay. Wayans. I swear there's a Marlon Wayans Jr. too. I could be wrong. Well, I guess I'm wrong. I know there's a Damon Wayans okay. Jr. Maybe you're right. I mean, I love Marlon Wayans. He's a little bit older now, though, I guess. But I Yeah, but so but so is Bentley. Bentley is older because he's the older he's got he's got to fit. It's kind of in a weird spot because he has to fit where he fits in nineteen sixty-nine right. or like, you know, a younger age and an older age at the yeah. same time. I mean, I love Marlon Wayans. He's been yep. in some some really good stuff. I mostly like his stuff from his comedy. Yeah. I except yeah. for like I feel am I the only one in the world who didn't like white chicks? I swear to God. Uh, no, no, no. White chicks okay. was terrible. I, I swear it's to God, terrible. everyone it's I talked I've ever talked to about that movie, and I don't bring it up. It's usually somebody else brings it up. It's yeah. like, oh, I'm so nostalgic for that movie. I'm like, really? That one? No. But the but the Wayans brothers show yes. was fucking yeah. awesome. Uh, plus, like a scary movie, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, those are those are great. So, all right, I'm I'm fine with that. Um, yeah, okay. actually, come to think of it, I think my actor is probably around that age, so I really can't say much. Uh, <laughs> he might be a little okay. bit younger, but not by not by too much, not by too much. Yeah, with the exception of the kids, and even with the kids, maybe I went with well-known actors in in pretty much all of these. So okay. I don't expect you to have to look anyone up. There's one that you might have to look up. Uh, but you definitely don't have to look up my Bentley because I know you love him as much as I do. And I went with Donald Faison. Oh, okay. I do love him. He's uh, he's a little bit. I think he's in the he's born in the 80s and, and Marlon Wayans. Born I don't like think so because 70s. remember, and we're about to talk about him in a couple of weeks. He was in. Oh, Donald Faison. I was thinking Donald Glover. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. I went Donald, Donald Faison. Sorry. From Scrubs. Oh yeah, they're only they're two years apart. Yeah, they are they are right there. And you know what? That's a great casting. <laughs> I like that a lot. I think it'd be he'd he'd work well as, as I mean we've seen him uh, as 
as Turk. He can kind of be that kind of yeah. like ner- almost neurotic that uh, David Gr- Alan Grant yeah. kind of had to play. I almost went with another guy who was a little bit more unknown, and I know you. I know I've talked about it, and I know you haven't seen it yet. The movie Free Guy. I have not. Okay, uh, there's a guy on there who plays a cop who's like best friends with uh, Ryan Reynolds' character, and I thought he did a fantastic job. I almost ca- cast him, and in the end, Donald Faison hit my brain. I was like, no, no, no. This uh, Donald Faison, I think, really works for this type of role. He really does. Yeah, yeah, and I, I like that as much as I like Marlon Wayans. So I'm okay. cool with that. All right, Van Pelt. Uh, if we stuck to the same uh, roles, the the whoever played Van Pelt would also play the father, mostly because mm-hmm. Van Pelt spends the whole movie telling the kid to man up and to act like a man, yeah. which parallels what his father said. So it makes sense that you would just have the father, the same actor who played the father, play that character. I went with a very well-known actor uh, who can be funny, he can be scary, he can run the gamut. I went with J.K. Simmons. Oh, interesting. He's older, significantly older now, but like this character, you know, it, nowadays with good makeup or even with digital de-aging stuff, like you can put a character like that in any kind yeah. of role. And the Van Pelt character, even if you if you didn't, either, either, either way, it works. Either yeah. way, that works. Because you don't have that. to age him up for Van Pelt. You can just kind of age him down yeah. a little bit for the father or whatever, if you need to. Yeah. Yeah, very true. So... Um, I went with a guy who he's not as comedic. He is definitely a little bit more straight laced with a lot of the stuff I've seen him. And honestly, I think he looked a lot like, uh, the actor <laughs> who played the main dude, uh, the main, the main, that main guy, uh, Jonathan mm-hmm. Hyde in the original Jumanji. I went with Ray Fiennes. Wow. I think he looks, doesn't he? He's a huge, he's yeah. a huge actor. He's a great talent. Yes. He's good with makeup. Hey, we've seen Voldemort, so he could be he could be aged however you need him. You know what? He does kind of look like him. He does. He, he? And that, yeah. that's where I, I couldn't get it out of my mind because I was like, you know what? He kind of looked like him. Uh, I I mean, what do you what do you want me to say about Ray Fiennes? He's he's got the acting chops. He he's got do, the acting chops. He can do. I don't think I've seen him doing comedy. Well, no, he's done Grand Budapest Hotel. He was that's a that's a, that's a quirky comedy by Wes Anderson. I actually haven't seen that. Of, I don't like most of Wes Anderson's stuff, uh, so I don't watch him. Grand Budapest is good. It's very good. So he can do comedy. He can obviously do he can do anything. He's fucking refines. Yeah. So, all right, let's move on to Sarah Whittle. Who did you pick for that? I'm actually probably least happy with this call. I think it fits, and I do think Hollywood would probably could make it work. Bonnie Hunt, I, I, you know, trying to cast for her, I ended up going with, I wanted a little bit more diversity, but I went with another white actress and that's fine. Mm -hmm. She's a funny comedic actress and I think she would fit and she's in the right age range now. Uh, You've cast her recently and I like her and she would work. I went with Kristen Bell. Yeah. Kristen Bell works. She can, she She can, she can play that kind of crazy. I saw something traumatic when I was a kid and now I'm going out there thing i'm not i'm honestly not excited about that casting but it works i'm with you i'm not that excited about it yeah but i mean it would work just fine um i don't know how you're gonna feel about my pick i like my pick um but i don't know how you feel about my actress i you know what i i find her to be quite a divisive actress like a lot of people don't like her they just don't like her and for some reason when i first started seeing her come up in things I also didn't like her, and she has grown on me. 
for some reason, I just I I could see her playing this type of role, and I loved her in the MCU, even though she plays very much a side character. And you know what? I've watched a few episodes of her show, Two Broke Girls, and I actually find it kind of funny. I went with Kat Dennings. Okay. 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 I'm cool with that. Okay. I am cool with that. I I wasn't sure where you were going. I was almost scared you were going to say Kristen Stewart. Oh, God, no. And I'm like, she couldn't. No way. Like, she has no comedic chops. Kat Dennings does. Mm-hmm. And I am on the Kat Dennings train. Okay. So, I'm good. I'm very good with that one. Okay, good. Whew. And I'd like to be on her train, if you know what I mean. Alright. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll let her Sarah my whittle. Whoa! Yeah, exactly. I don't even know what that means. Alright. Uh, Peter Shepard. This is the one that I actually had the hardest time finding someone. I finally did find someone. I wanted to go with pretty much everyone to be someone well-known. Um, okay. I didn't want to go too many... Um, unknowns for this one it took me a while to find a kid that i felt was in the right exact age spot because a lot of the a lot of the kicked actors that we've been using lately are now in their mid to late teens yes um and or growing out of that so it's like "Mm." i mean i guess they could play down but at some point you know you can't have like a 17 year old playing like a a 10 year old and I, I wanted i kept mine in that 10 to 12 range for the two kids myself yeah um, mine, unfortunately, now he's about fourteen, eh, but he kind of he he still looks rather young. But uh, he's uh, he played uh, he was in the oh, let me start that again. Shit, uh, he was in the movie It, and he played Georgie, the one who floats down there. His name is Jackson Robert Scott. Okay, um, I've I have looked at most all of the. It kids <laughs> at some point. Yeah, yeah, he's around. Yes, he is. So he's 13 right now. And this is around the same age range that I went with my kind of okay. Judy and my Peter. And he looks like a kid actor. And so I'm cool with that. Okay. All right. Who did you go with? I went with a kid who has done some kind of comedic stuff before. I can't say I've seen too much of what he's in, but he's a kid actor. Um, <laughs> he had been in uh, Diary of a Wimpy Kid, he'd been in Mixedish. Which is not a show I've actually watched, but it's a spinoff of uh, Blackish, which I love Blackish. And so knowing that it's a spinoff of it, I'm like, you know what? I will give you a chance. I went with Ethan William Childress. All right. I'm gonna look that He'd up. also been in a sh- something called The United States of Tomorrow. But um, cute little kid. Uh, he's about a year younger, less than a year younger than your kid. Um, but he's been in enough stuff. Uh, well, no, no, no. So he's been in four credits, but he's been in the entire show of Mixedish, yeah. and then also uh, a voice in in the Diary of a Kid. So yeah, I'm cool with him. Okay, I mean, yeah, cute looking kid. I think he works. Okay, I'll take it. All right, uh, Judy, the older sister. Let's uh, let's keep you going, Adam. All right. So again, I uh, and so my character is um, of mixed race of uh, Peter and Judy. So I kept that as well. Obviously, with the the, the two kids Mm -hmm. that is like kind of like this somewhat kind of like you know updated uh shift that i did with this one uh this actress has been in the show big little lies but on top of that she was in the show with uh the a comedy movie with um dave batista in 2020 called my spy where she was this very sassy little kid i remember the uh i remember the trailer 
And that's the thing is I haven't actually seen what she's been in, but I remember the trailer for yes. My Spy and she was sassy and cute and I thought she could be pretty damn good replacement for Kurt, uh, Kristen Stewart. So I went with uh, Chloe Coleman. Okay. So yeah, she is uh, 13 right now. She's just, yeah, she's she's cute. She's sassy. She's in a new movie with Owen Wilson and, and J-Lo in 2022 and... I'm sure that's going to have some comedy elements. So she's obviously used to the comedy stuff. So yeah, I'm very happy with this call. Cool. I, I like that. Just honestly, just from the sass of the one trailer. Yeah. I, I'm kind of sold on her. So. <laughs> All right. That, that was pretty much me too. Once I saw that and I saw that, I was like, oh, I remember that trailer. I am down. Uh, I went with an actress who I've seen recently in the last few months. And even though that that movie kept getting delayed and delayed and delayed, and we talked about her back in October, yeah. November, whenever the movie came out, I went with McKenna Grace. I thought about her as well. She, and honestly, as much as I kind of like shat on aspects of Ghostbusters Afterlife, she was the bright star in that film. Mm-hmm. And I'm really appreciating her. Um, I think that is a great call and probably one that they would want to help lead a you know reboot of Jumanji if you will right she'd be great at it and I really really appreciated her and her comedic timing I thought she was one of the best parts of afterlife and so I'm all for that that, that choice all right cool all right Alan Alan Parrish I'll go ahead and jump in with mine I did struggle a little bit uh, coming up with someone. Um, but in the end, I did go with a comedic actor uh, who's been in a couple things uh, that I really, really enjoy. And I know you're going to know who he is. Uh, he was the voice of Sonic the Hedgehog and Jean Ralphio in Parks and Rec. I went with Ben Schwartz. Interesting. Interesting. He's f- super funny. Absolutely love him. Uh, especially as John Ralphio, he is just fucking phenomenal in that role. But he also he's just he's great um, improv actor as well. Mm-hmm. He's really funny on the improv scene. Yeah, I don't know. I, I I the only problem I have is believing that he could survive twenty six years in a jungle. <laughs> well, it, it that's the that's the part of the story is you have to suspend disbelief. Yeah, fair. <laughs> For that. All right, I guess that's it. Besides that, I'm cool. Okay. All right. And who was your Alan Parrish? So, yeah, this was a tough call, but ultimately, as I mentioned before, the one benefit is this isn't an iconic acting role from uh, Robin Williams where he's super Robin Williams-y. Mm. I think there is room for other people. And I went with an actor who has done comedy stuff he does comedy in a tv show that he was on he did comedy in some of his movies there's definitely comedy in most of his movies but he's also done action stuff and there are action elements to this film i went with low-hanging fruit i picked chris pratt okay yeah i can see that i could see them chris pratt can definitely play up the comedy portion of it i can i can see him you know surviving in the jungle i i want to hate that pick but i don't yeah i i think he's hilarious i think Chris Pratt would do just fine. And I would say I haven't seen or, you know, I guess they have that upcoming new Jurassic movie. 
I have very little interest into it because Jurassic World wasn't good. And then the <laughs> sequel was way even worse. Uh, and so he needs to step away from that franchise. And maybe Jumanji's the franchise to move into. Yeah. I, I would be, I'd be happy to see him there too. Yeah. All right. That was our recasting of Jumanji. Please join us next time for another top 10 episode. John and I hit the 80s hard with our top 10 favorite 80s music videos. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach us at blastfromourpast at gmail.com. And if you want to suggest a movie or TV show from your childhood or to be a guest on the podcast, go over to patreon.com backslash blastpastcast and pick a tier that works for you. To find us on social media, search for at blastpastcast. So until next time, I'm John. And I'm Adam. And thanks for joining us. See you next time. I'm Adam. And I'm Corey. And we are the hosts of Cartwright, a Seinfeld podcast. We are breaking down every single episode of Seinfeld as we watch it, reliving this amazing show. That's right. It's a trip down memory lane for all of us 90s kids out there. You can find Cartwright, a Seinfeld podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, and Patreon. La la la.